8.9 FM in Irvine and standing by to join me is John Sherman. He's associate professor of film at Kenyon College and he's going to talk about his latest film and his role as director and co-writer on the film and a lot more. I'm really interested in hearing about his backstory and how he became a filmmaker. Welcome to the show. Thanks Janine. Nice to see you again after I don't know many years. A gazillion years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah you know what I have interviewed a few people, as I mentioned, some classmates, because we went to Horace Mann together eons mm. ago. Um, I was there fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. And okay. I've interviewed Gabe Sirota and Emily Wagner. And I'm so, I love following the careers of our classmates to see where they end up. And there's a lot of creative people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. So at the, um, at the, we just screened the movie. We just premiered it at, um, Dances with Films in LA at the Chinese Theater on September 11th. And uh, jo Josh Molina came to the screening and Josh is, you know, an actor. He's been on the West Wing and Sports Night and sure. he's fantastic. It was great to see him after a few years. And then Andy Green came, who is a writer. Um, he's a TV writer and he has a new television show. You should interview him. Okay. It's premiering on Apple. I don't know the title off the top of my head. I apologize. But I know it's premiering on Apple TV October 11th. Okay. So and he I'll looks he's great because he looks like he's 25 years old still so he's, <laughs> he's gonna have to find out what his secret is yeah yeah i don't know i i yeah. didn't get there. yeah and emily has a new um series yeah. on, on the verge i think it's called yeah it's on netflix um I that's a really it. interesting movie it's is it a movie or is it a series i don't it's know a series it's julie delpy a french director and writer yes. and she's fantastic and yeah, I was hoping that I would see Emily at the screening, but she couldn't make it. You know, it's hard. Like, I really wanted an in-person premiere for the for the film because it's mm -hmm. a comedy and you don't really want to do a virtual premiere, but right. it's tough, you know, like I know. Dancing with Films, they really worked hard to make a safe in-person film festival. But since then, a lot of film festivals have gone back to being virtual. And it's a really tough time for a filmmaker because you know, you, you got to get your film out in the world and you want it seen with an right. audience and there's just a yes. lot of uncertainty. I so. mean, I guess you just have to do a lot of this, a lot of Zoom interviews and try to get, spread the word. And um, yeah, what has it been like trying to get press and interviews and promoting? Well, um, so I have a great publicist in LA. Her name is Kim Dixon at Dominion 3. Yeah. So I got to I know who that is. Oh, you do know Kim? Okay, I yeah, do, she's great. Well. You should talk to her after this, so she'll be okay. interested to know that we did this, because um, she usually arranges everything, and she's been good. You know, it's 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 hard right now to get people's attention because, like, the Toronto Film Festival was also going on at the same time, and mm -hmm. press is really. I think people are really dispersed. You know, right now there's no center. Like, you know, mm -hmm. film festivals are great because usually you get to interact with other filmmakers and see other people's movies and. You know, I think a lot of us just really feel um, alone and feel like we haven't been able to have that interaction, you know, with a comedy like a movie like this um, that I just did. I would normally screen it four or five times for an audience and just watch the audience and see where they're laughing and where sure. they're bored. And when you can't do that, you know, the way you do it now is you send a link on Vimeo and you don't know if someone's watching it all in one setting yes. or sitting rather, or if they're like on their phones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a very, it's very difficult to get good, honest feedback. Yes. So, you yeah. know, you kind of feel like you're just throwing like a, 
a note into a bottle into the void. For the best, you know? <laughs> but like, you know, the good thing about this movie is it's very entertaining. It's sweet. It's not, it's funny. It's not, um, it's, it seems like a good pandemic movie. And I think the audience reaction confirmed that it was nice to see people laugh together, you know, cause you forget like, what's it like to sit with a group of people laughing? Exactly. Yes. So give us a synopsis. What's it about? So it's about uh, a couple. So two sort of uh, people in their mid forties living in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I live. Um, I moved from New York about 10 years ago to teach at Kenyon college, which is in Gambier, Ohio, which is an hour away. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they're both divorced and they both are single parents and they meet on a dating website and then they move in together within a very short period of time. And they've got to blend their two different families together. So, you know, it's a family story, but it's a contemporary family story. You don't see a lot of blended family movies. You know, you get like, you know, yours, mine and ours is like the old one, the old yes. version of it. But this is way more contemporary and way, hopefully a little more edgy and interesting, I think. Um, you know, definitely a movie for, for 2021, I hope. Yes, so. I watched the trailer. I put everything on my show blog, which is Get the Funk Out Show, by the way. I don't know if you know the name of my show. Yeah. But it's getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I put the trailer up there, all your links. Tell right. me about the process of making the movie uh, and, you know, coming up with the script. Yeah, so um, it's a good, it's a, it was a long story. So basically, you know, I was independent filmmaker in, uh, in New York and LA for many years. And I did a $250,000 movie. Then I did a $10 million movie. And so, yeah, it was a big, it was a big jump. And, um, I was going to make a movie for a universal and working title uh, a few years ago. And the movie, I was going to move to LA. I bought a house in Los Angeles. It was a teen movie and it just kind of fell apart right before production. It was really a tough, tough time. I had to sell the house quickly. And um, I really, I had two young kids and I really needed to get a job. And I knew that I was pretty good. I had done some um, adjunct teaching in -hmm. film in between my movies. And I applied to Kenyon from New York to teach, um, not knowing what Ohio was like or anything about it. And it was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. Like it's a new film program. I went to Wesleyan in Connecticut, uh, which is a great great film program and Kenyon really was modeling their, their program on a pro, you know, a small liberal arts school film program, but a little bit more production, a little less film history. Okay. So I, and my colleague um, at Kenyon have basically started this film program and it's great. We have a film building with a studio and we get lots of kids from LA who come and it's kind of this secret little secret, you know, that people don't know so much about it, but the people that come really love it. And it's kind of an anti Hollywood. I mean, it's a very narrative based program, but it's like the anti USC. Like it's all about yes. like, you don't care what you shoot your film on, you know, it's all about writing scripts and, and, and making good stories. And, you know, Kenyon has that reputation as a school for writers Mm-hmm. So we have a very strong drama program and the film program grew out of the drama program. Like Allison Janney went there and Josh Radner and Paul Newman is most famous. And wow. um, yeah. And then we also have a lot of um, from our, when the film program started uh, in about 2011. So from the first year of the program, we've got um, a guy named Justin Shipley who did a show called Wrecked for TBS that he created and is now with his brother, like big screenwriter, a woman named Kathleen Jordan, who um, just did a TV show with Genji Cohen for, for Netflix. Oh, yeah. So like our students are starting to do really, really well. So it's great. You know, it's very rewarding. But when you teach, 
it's, it's very much a full-time job. Like you're always planning classes and then you have to be on committees and stuff. So finally I had a sabbatical about, I think it was four or five years ago and I had the whole year off, which is the best thing. So I wrote this script that was very loosely based on my life, but you know, I wanted to set a movie in Columbus. Um, it's not a city that I've ever really seen on film before. We have a lot of movies are shot in Cleveland and Cincinnati, but Columbus is a big city, okay. bigger than those. And um, we have a tax credit in Ohio. So I knew that I was gonna try to make the movie here. As long as you spend $300,000, you can get 30% back. That's great. So, yeah, it's a great. And also like the fact that there have not been a lot of movies shot here means that you can get locations for very little money. Like the movie, when you see the movie, it's, it's, it was made for about $550,000, but I think it looks a lot bigger than that because the production value is free, you know, the location. Yeah. Right. So the Maybe only issue was think. that when we were ready to go, um, that's when the pandemic started. So mm-hmm. we were going to make the movie in 2019, but we didn't have all the money. We had to wait. And then it really started to come together in, in uh, 2020, but no one was shooting. Absolutely no one. Right. And, or at least they weren't telling people. So we were really like, we had the money to go and we wanted to do it, but it was not going to mm-hmm. be easy. And the Screen Actors Guild um, was not even allowing movies to go into production, yeah. but we were one of the first that they approved. Um, so that's like, incredible with all yeah, that going on. Yeah, it was a great story, but it was tough because we need they the only way they would let us shoot. I mean, you know, obviously the masks and everything, and it's before mm-hmm. the vaccine. So they we had to do PCR testing for the whole crew with a forty eight hour turnaround, and every day for the actors, and it was just add that to your stress of already making a film. Right, exactly. And it was just, it was so insanely expensive. And also at the time, I mean, it's hard to think of now because, you know, we have these rapid tests, but at the time we were averaging about five to seven days wait time for, mm-hmm. to get test results back. And SAG would not let us shoot if we had that. Yeah. So we found this COVID guru, really, I don't know how else to call her, this woman, Victoria in Columbus, who had a background in hospitals and she decided she was going to make this her business. And she found a lab in Wisconsin that was able to turn around these tests really quickly. Now she's in Chicago, like she does big TV shows. She does, she's like, she does all the COVID supervising for all, for these major TV shows, which means like, you know, disinfecting set and testing and everything. So we were the trial case and we had about 50 to 70 people on the crew. Um, We, you know, I had wanted to, um, use a lot of my students on the crew and students mm-hmm. from local film schools around here. I was only able to use a few because it was so expensive to get them tested. But where, you know, when you see the movie, like the, where I'm particularly proud of it is that when people watch the movie at, at the premiere, like they didn't realize that we had shot in COVID and there's no extras in the movie. Like, we just couldn't afford, like there's one or two scenes that have extras, but we had to put them in the testing protocol, which yeah. means they had to be tested twice before. So you'll see like my former students, my wife, Melissa, in the background of like five or six different scenes. Like if you look closely after you watch the movie, you'll see the same people over and over again. So we had to- we had to Recycle. <laughs> Recycle and also reconceive our whole shooting idea. Like, yeah. you know, you have to shoot it much more. Luckily, the story really lends itself to a very intimate style of filming. But you can't do a lot of big wide shots when people are wearing masks and you don't have the money to like paint out the masks. Exactly. So we were really careful about how we shot it. Yeah. And it was amazing. And if we had gotten one positive test, we would have had to shut down. Shut down. I don't know if we start, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if we would have, because we, we were just, we were operating on a racer's edge. So I actually ended up having to put the COVID testing on my credit card. It adds $70,000. <gasps> Whoa. Budget. Yeah. It's about 20%. You can figure now for COVID stuff. Mm. 
So but it now has to be little, done. It has to be done. Now it's a little easier, you know, with the vaccine, but but you know, now there's breakthrough cases. So people right. are filming like crazy and people are used to it, but at the time no one had done it before. And they a lot of people called us afterwards and they were like, Tell us how you did this, you know, and you're just really relying on the crew also is keeping themselves mm-hmm. safe and not going out on the weekends. And sure. we just got yeah. lucky. We just got lucky. You have to have this sense of solidarity on the project that you're all committed to doing this and staying healthy as healthy as possible. Yeah. I mean, they knew like no one wants to be the person that got, that got COVID. I mean, for many reasons, but also the person that would shut the movie down. So I think they just kind of self quarantined. You know, we rented them Airbnbs rather than we couldn't put them in hotel rooms and they just pretty much stayed together throughout the filming. And I think it, I think it really bonded the crew. Yeah. It was very difficult because we were wearing masks, obviously, the whole time. It was very warm. It was, it was in August of 2020 that we were shooting, and it was hot and just rough. That but was a tough time, August 2020. It was. It was a really yeah. scary time. And it was interesting because at the time, I think I was able to get um, Joey Slotnick and Amy Hargreaves, who star in the movie, to come from New York because they were New York was really hit hard by COVID, and Ohio yes. was relatively COVID-free. And yeah. then it flipped by August, where... Ohio had tons more COVID and, and New York was doing better and they still agreed to come. And I, you know, all these people told me like, you can't do this. It's not responsible. And, you know, at a certain point you just have to go for it and make the call and right. thank God nobody got really sick you know, thank God. But, you know, it's amazing. I, yeah, it's yeah. just, it was a very calculated risk. Like we, yeah. we, we really took care of each other and, and the crew, yeah. but it could have gone, it could have gone very wrong. How many months did it take you to get this done? All the filming and everything. Shooting? Well, it was only yeah. 20 days of filming. 20 days. So, okay. yes, four, four or five day weeks. And I wrote a lot of the film is set in the main family's house. And hopefully it doesn't feel claustrophobic because those scenes are spread out throughout the movie. But um, my it was my house in Columbus. And Columbus, you can afford a lot more than you can in Southern California and New York. And New York. So we have three floors. It's a three floor house. And the assistant director was really brilliant. And he came up with um, a shooting schedule that allowed us to shoot by floor because as the couple moves in together and time goes by, we wanted the house to change and to feel more of uh, Lisa, the main, uh, the main woman's in- influence upon the house. She's an artist. Okay. Yeah. So like we would be downstairs filming in the basement and the art department would be upstairs prepping one scene. And then when we were done in the basement, then we would go, you know, back up to the third floor and then the art department would be on the first floor, like working and painting and Oh. It was crazy. And, and so that means you shoot out of order completely. So you yes. really have to be, it's hard on the actors. It's hard on me because it's like, what scene are we today? It's like, here's scene 36, scene 81, and then scene 52. And nothing is flowing. So you just have to mm. be in the moment and say like, well, I got to make this scene feel as real as possible. And hopefully it'll all cut together, you know? And I think it does, but it was, it was tough. It was really tough to shoot out so out of order like that. I mean, most likely you'll never have to face anything like this as challenging. This was so, no one could have prepared for this, you know? Yeah. I mean, independent film is hard enough as it is. It's like such a Yeah. Trial. And you add a, a pandemic. You add a pandemic know? to it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, like movie, like Netflix movies, like they can afford that extra 20%, you know, to, to really, you know, build out, like make sure that there's enough testing and, you know, it's, it's studios can do it. They just have yeah. to pay a little bit more money, but for independent films, it's really hard. Sure. You know, so. Tell me, I, I want to just delve into when 
did you know you were interested in film? Was it high school? What, who was your mentor? How did this all come down? Right. So in high school, um, I should say I went to Horace Mann where we both went. Well, you went there until seventh grade. And I was much more interested in music at the time. Like Horace Mann didn't have a film. I don't think any high schools really had programs at that point. They had good music program, it seemed. Yeah. guitar. Did you play guitar there? I played keyboards. Okay. I was playing guitar. Okay. Oh, that's funny. And I was so into music. Like we had a magazine called the Pop World Press that someone the year ahead of me in class of 83 started. And it was just like, we would make it on Xerox, you know, Xerox it. And, and we would just go see bands and review, um, review new albums. And we would go to Danceteria and see whatever new band. Danceteria. Yeah. So I, I think the interest of film came out of the interest in music from music, you know, Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Westland, I started studying with um, this woman named Janine Basinger, who I, I, I loved European film before I got there. So like in high school, I would go, I mean, I'm totally going to date myself, but whatever. Um, I would go to like the Thalia movie theater on, in Broadway in the 90s and mm-hmm. go to revival. Like they had these revival, ha- like you can't even imagine it now, like a movie theater that just showed old movies. They still have them in Paris, you know, but like I would just go and do that and just, mm-hmm. and that was my film education until I got to Westland and then Janine is someone who um, is an Ameri- big American film, classic Hollywood cinema expert. So she would offer classes in like the musical or film noir or, you know, Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And that's really where my interest in film came from. And that, that program has, I mean, it's kind of amazing, like the number of successful filmmakers that have come out of that program. Like, I mean, Joss Whedon, Michael Bay. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many, Mike White, who just did, um, um, uh, what's the, I'm just blanking right now, the show on HBO at the resorts um, that everyone's talking, you know, anyway, it's, it's uh, the, the White Lotus. Oh, so, okay. yeah. And, and so he, and he, like Miguel Arteta, who he, he, Mike and Miguel worked together on Chuck and Buck and a lot of other movies too. So like this is weird school, not weird, but small school in the middle of Connecticut produced like all these amazing filmmakers and um, it was a great, it was a great education. And then, and then I went to Columbia, I got my MFA from Columbia, New York. So, and that also that school has just amazing graduates too, for that are, you know, um, making movies and TV. So, so, and then, and then I did a small, right. When I came out of school, I did a small movie for like $250,000 and, um, and that's how it started. You did it on your own or you worked with somebody? I had a, very two very close producer friends who one of whom I knew from he he didn't go to high school with me but we would go to concerts together and Mm -hmm. and he wanted to be a producer and he's since produced like 25 movies and raised the money privately in like five thousand dollar installments um yeah and we only raised half of it but then we we got somebody to finish to put in at the end and got distribution which was pretty I didn't realize at the time like how unusual that was I was like oh yeah this is how it happens and then after that I'm like I don't even know how we did that like it was crazy so um yeah and then it was really strange that I um Tim Perel this producer had met someone from Gaumont in France which is the biggest film company in France and then I did a big movie with them um that was way too big it shouldn't have been such a big movie but whatever you can rent it it's called I'm with Lucy and um, it's a quirky romantic comedy that, you know, people didn't, because it was acquired by Sony and it, it, it was kind of too expensive to be a small independent film. So they just released it on, um, 
on DVD and, and video. So like not a lot of people have seen it. People in Europe have seen it. It came out all over the world, but it was tough. I mean, it was really tough to see that because like, if that movie had been made for a lot less, I think it would have had a nice, a nice life as an independent film, but sure. you know, they, they wanted it to be more of like a studio film, which just doesn't have that kind of cat has a great cast, but they're not studio actors. So you can look it up and it's, it's, you know, I, I, I'm super proud of it, but you know, it just, it was a tough experience. But then after that, I, um, I got uh, some agents in California and then I just went up for like director for higher jobs, which is a weird world too. Like, that's just like, you go to LA and you just go to meetings and talk to them about their movies and you try to get hired to be a director. So you're so. just pitching yourself as a director. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the funniest thing because the only thing that studios really can control once movies, once a movie starts, like it's just like a runaway train. So they, what they can control is the script. So you'll go in for meetings to to direct and they'll just want to talk about the script. Like, how are you going to make the script better? How do you want to fix it? And you have to come in with a take about how you're going to change the script. So, I mean, they, you may write it, somebody else may write it, you know, but they want to know your vision for the story more than anything, because that, that's kind of how they pick you unless you're like someone who's, you know, unless you're like Wes Anderson or someone who has a very distinct style, like they don't know what they're going to get. So they just, right. they just want to talk to you about. Well, plus when you're in production, don't things get changed on the fly? Like a director might come and say, you know, maybe you should say this line or don't things yeah. switch a little. Yeah, they do. But within reason, I mean, if it's yeah. an independent film, sure, you can change yeah. everything. It's a studio movie. Forget they it. want to see the script. Yeah, they want to see the dailies and they'll fire you. If the dailies don't match what they think the movie is, they'll mm-hmm. get fired. So, yeah, within reason, like as long as you are still shooting the movie that they've greenlit on the page and you have yes. a take, you know, that they'll, they'll let you have your own your own takes. But, you know, like I remember in film school at Columbia, my uh friend of mine and he's now a huge director James Mangold um, had he came out of USC and he got hired to be um, a tv director he's in a tv movie and they had three cameras and um, you know it was like a, a fairly large conversation scene and he had camera a and camera b which is you know focusing on the two main actors and he told camera c the third one just wander around and pick up anything you see interesting and they saw that they saw the camera want they fired him you know so, so yeah. he had to go and rebuild. Then he went after Columbia, he went and had a big career at, you know, he does huge movies now, but, but, um, and, but he, you know, they'll fire you. So, cause you're yeah. replaceable. Like that's, yeah. you know, like there's, there's mo- it's supply and demand. There's a million yes. people that want to be directors. Yeah. So you just have to be really, you have to protect the movie and protect yourself, but also deliver something that's a little bit original. It's kind of a, it's kind of a hard job. It's really a hard job. I mean, that's why like, you know, like the same, like if you look at, if you look at IMDb or you see like, like Hollywood kind of cycles people out like every five to seven years, like, you know, directors, unless it's a director that like has been around for a while and keeps making successful movies, Mm -hmm. you know, and then plus like it was all men then too. And then now it's changing for the better. Thank God. The better. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, like it it just, it just, it, it's a business that just like chews people up. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I tell my students, like, don't even think about the movies. Like, you got to go to TV. Like, TV is where that's the medium that, you know, there's more jobs. You can be a writer. You can be in a writer's room, you know. You think more also streaming, like, um, you know, write, write for Netflix, write for, you know, Hulu, just write those kind of. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's complicated, though, because like Netflix, like 
they make movies based on their algorithms, you know? So like, they'll do romantic, like I have a couple of recent grads who I think will do really great. Like they want to write like romantic comedies for Netflix, like The Kissing Booth, like that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, if it fits into that, you know, that sort of model or that lane, but Netflix, you know, they'll buy movies only like they're ones that they want for awards. Like they'll go to like the top film festivals and buy a couple of movies, but they make their own stuff right now. So if you can figure out what they want to make, then sure, mm-hmm. you know, but there's just more TV than there are movies right now. And yes. there's, and that's cut, frankly where the, where the most interesting work is being done. I think, um, I think, yeah. you know, like classic Hollywood directors like Billy Wilder and Hitchcock and people like that, if they were coming in now, they would be in TV, you know, like the Matt Winers of the world, like yes. Matt, you know, like those are the, like Matt was a Wesleyan graduate and, you know, he was smart. He was on the, on the cutting edge of, you know, prestige television. But so now, now the students that I have that come in, they're 18. They're like, we want to be TV directors or TV writers. We don't want to even be film because what are the, what do they have to like Marvel movies? Like those are the only movies that are really, you know, yeah. models. Yeah. No other movies do well. Sure. So, so it's a big time of change. What, um, uh advice would you give writers let's say is it is it good to just write a pilot or do you write you know the pilot and the first two episodes like what mm-hmm. when people are pitching themselves well now it's i mean it's such a it's again like such an interesting time of change like now things are more like the six to eight episode limited series mm-hmm. so you could write a pilot but you have to know the whole arc of the show if you're yes. going to do that so that's basically just like a six to eight hour movie that you're pitching, right? It's yeah. like it's like a screenplay, but it's longer, hour long episodes. So yeah, you could write that. But I think, you know, all the advice that everyone tells me, like, you know, what Kenyon we get, we've got a lot of like very successful film parents and they just say, write something original. You know, mm-hmm. like they can tell, you know, executives can tell in the first five pages if you know what you're doing. It's just, yeah. you just got to capture their attention because if they're reading a stack of scripts every weekend, they're going to throw it away after page 10 if it doesn't capture them. So you just got to do something. They just want like fresh, original voices. Yeah, makes so, sense. Yeah. So that's what I tell people is just to really work on. So yeah, it's a pilot or it's maybe it's a pilot and a screenplay, but they don't even care. Like it could be a play. They don't, they don't, they're kind of platform neutral. They just want to see good, fresh writing that, you know, captures their attention. So I don't really have any, like, I, I just tell people like, write something, write the story that you want to see. And if it makes sense as a pilot, write it as that. If it's a film, write it as that. You're just trying to get someone's attention. Sure. And, and then make things because, you know, a lot of television shows now get picked up on like five to seven minute web series and things. And That's the problem true. is, there's so many, but there's so many of those now too. So yes. it's like, well, you know, yeah. how do you find... You know, because everyone knows that example. Everyone knows like high maintenance on HBO, right? That was a web series. Mm -hmm. And everyone points to that. So now there's thousands of people doing that. Yes. I interviewed um, a a team that was involved in the series and each episode was five minutes. Oh, that's interesting. And and I thought it was a very interesting model. So you get the whole arc in this each five minute, four to five minute, you know, series. And I think there were five or six episodes. I thought it was very clever. Well, Um, like, yeah. I was going to ask you, because I'm kind of in this boat, I'm a screenwriter and I've been submitting to different festivals. Do people pay attention to, you know, you're a finalist, you're a semi-finalist. Obviously it depends on which festival. 
And then someone said, now you should try to pitch and get an agent. Well, that's easier said than. No, the agents won't sign you until they have, um, until they know they can make money off of you right away. So a manager maybe is mm -hmm. better because they're, they're more interested in the long arc of your career. Yes. Um, but then they sign fewer clients. Um, yeah, I think it, I think that it does help. I don't know if you look on Twitter now, I read there's just go on Twitter and follow the topic screenwriting. There's like a whole screenwriting Twitter and it's like a whole ecosystem of people giving each other advice about that kind of thing. That's like semi-finalists and, and competitions, you know, mm -hmm. the problem is it's like, you know, a lot of these competitions, it's like 20,000 people apply. Yeah. So, so you have to, you have to brace yourself for just reject you. Like there's so much rejection that so you much. just have to be, you just have to have such a thick skin, yeah. not take it personally and just apply to a bunch of things. But the problem is like with film festivals, like they're kind of difficult too, because each one has like a hundred dollar fee and there's oh, so many out there. Yeah. You can spend thousands of dollars just applying to film festivals. So you have to be really careful and yeah. choose, well, why am I applying to this film festival? What do I want to get out of this? Who am I hoping sees my work, mm -hmm. you know? But for writers, it's even a little tougher because at least with a film festival, like you have something to show the thought, like a screenplay is a blueprint for a movie. Yes. Right? So they yes. just want to yes. see that good writing. Right. So right. for my students, like I really, I tell them to rely on their networks, you know, like they can, like they, the people who graduated 10 years ago helped the people that just graduated. And a lot I of them are executives. That. Yeah, there a lot of them are executives and they sit, they show each other stuff and they hire each other. That's so, great. Yeah, and I learned that from Wesleyan because there's like a Wesleyan film mafia and we're trying to do the same thing with Kenyans so that like, if they're good, they'll get found because yeah. they just have, just need a couple people to see it and yeah. you know, but so. You know, especially yeah. like if someone helped you years ago, you know what that feels like to then help somebody out. Give it, pay it forward, 100%. Right. And they will. So yeah, you know, because there's a lot of not very nice people in the business. So you might as well be one of the good ones. I agree. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's struggling right now in the pandemic? They're a writer, they're a filmmaker, to, to stay positive. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I think that it's at least right now, you know, hopefully people have had some time to do some writing and to be home and actually get some work done, but don't beat yourself up if you haven't, you know, I think it's just, you know, try to have as many different stories as possible. You know, maybe it's a pilot, maybe it's a screenplay mm -hmm. and just keep writing and have like four or five things that you're working on. So you don't get like, go back and forth between them. Cause when you get sick of one of them, you can jump to another back to, you know, story A or story C or something. So you know, I would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes. But, and then I would also say, like, just watch a ton of stuff and know what's out there because the people that, like, they expect you to be a connoisseur of television if you're sure. going to be a TV writer. So I know. That, Can you imagine the person that's, you know, talking to a potential manager and they're asked, so what's your favorite show right now? Oh, I don't really watch much. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'll, you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> you better watch whatever, whatever everyone's watching. It's White Lotus, Hacks, whatever. You better yeah totally up to date about that and yeah. you know you want to write something that's like it but not like it you know what I mean sure. so but yeah. you know I think um I don't know like the good thing about it is that there's so many like little niche markets now because all the different streamers like mm -hmm. it used to be like to be a tv writer you would have to write like you know for cbs and then you'd apply to like you'd have to succeed with the widest possible audience and now like you know, FX or these, all these, there's so many buyers out there and Definitely. they all have 
small niche audiences. So I think that's good news, you know? I think so. Yeah. I think so. And it's I think the keep writing, here. like get inspired, you know, by things you see in life. If, you know, right. a funny moment, something unexpected. I mean, I'm constantly like writing stuff down, getting ideas um, and write shorter things. Like I've submitted, I got really bold in the pandemic and I submitted to Film Freeway and I got into the Rhode Island Film Festival. Oh, you know, great. I got some rejections, but I'm like, whatever, just keep writing. It doesn't, don't take it personally and stop. Oh that would be ridiculous. I mean, I, the list of festivals and things that I get rejected, it's not even, I don't even, I just get, I let myself get upset about it for one minute. It's like, yeah. you give yourself one or two minutes, then you move on. I agree. Like, you can't, you can't, it's just ridiculous. It's hard enough as it is. Yes. So, you know, like, yeah. don't, don't take it personally. Right. You know? And you yeah. know, give it to your friends, get feedback. Like if they're, you'll know if it's not a good one, you know, they'll kind of tell you without telling you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have a circle of people that you trust, yes. that you show your work to, right? Definitely. So that's important, have a Definitely. strong network. Yeah. Where yeah. can people find out more about your film, see your film, learn about right. you? So um, the next stop for it is the San Diego Film Festival. So if you go to the San Diego Film Festival website, San Diego is now mostly virtual. Okay. So they can watch the film on there. I think it starts like around October 10th and they can rent it. There's a window that they can rent it. So okay. just go to the San Diego Film Festival website. Um, and then after that, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, it, it'll be hopefully some more festivals, but, you know, I hope we're hoping to sell it very soon. So, you know, yeah, we'll see. Are you how, coming out to San Diego? No, because it's virtual. Okay. Yeah. I wish, you know, they're, they're a great film festival, but the, the movies that they're showing, showing like five or six in person and okay. it's all the like Oscar hope fills. Yes. So I understand that like the smaller independent films are pretty much all in the virtual space. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. So I wish I were, I, I, I've never been to San Diego actually. Oh, it's to, beautiful. I know. I'd love yeah. to go. I've heard. Yeah. So your next film. Next one. <laughs> for sure. Well, next, I mean, hopefully soon we'll be back in a place where we can have film festivals again in person because this is a drag no one wants to watch their computer i know but bravo for to you for being able to be so adaptable and just move full steam ahead thank you yeah i'm super proud of it so yeah yeah thank you well it was great to talk to you again you too keep me posted on your future projects as well will do will do all right good luck with your writing too thank you be well okay 